Good morning and welcome to the Movies Are Good podcast. I'm your host, Pie Man, and I'm very excited to be here again. You know what? There was a lot out this week. I gotta say, just this is a busy podcast episode. I was trying to fit in absolutely everything that had come out this week. I don't think I can do it, really. There's too much to talk about, and I'm very interested in talking about some of these films to boot. Shazam! Fury of the Gods is probably the big thing, and that's what we'll start with today, okay? But later in the episode, we gotta talk about Pearl... We can talk about Play Dead, the Boston Strangler movie that came out, uh, uh, Alleluia and Rye Lane, multiple bridge films out this week. I also want to talk about The Last of Us because that finished and oh boy. And we're going to be talking about Sunday School the Musical. Not High School Musical, Sunday School the Musical. I can't hardly believe that's real, but it is and I'm very excited to talk about it. First up though, Shazam 2. The first Shazam movie, I thought, you know what, that's actually a pretty great superhero deconstruction. I mean, there's been a lot of them. Superhero movies that just keep going and going, and they have to keep becoming more and more meta. The way they've evolved over the last 15 years has been nuts. And also, how nuts is it that it's been 15 years since the MCU started? Wow. It's really since then that things have just taken off, and you've got things like The Boys, The Umbrella Academy... TV shows that do great deconstructions of the superhero genre. Movies that have done it, there are less, and I feel like Shazam is probably the best example of one. It, being in the DC universe, it didn't have to hint towards certain heroes. You know the way in the boys, they kind of, they have like Homelander, and Homelander is meant to be Superman, but if he was evil. And they've basically got the whole Justice League in that one. In Invincible, again, they basically got the whole Justice League, and it's like Omni-Man is, what if Superman was evil? They did films like Brightburn, which is a horror film, which was basically, what if Superman is evil? They've done it so many times. Shazam just had a more fun deconstruction with it. It had this, what if Superman was a childish little bitch? And it was wonderful! I think it was so much fun. It's not, like, great. It's not, like, a truly great movie for me. But I thought it was a lot of fun. I thought it was fine. The sequel, we find uh, issues. I don't... Again, I'm not going to complain too much about it because it is just so clear from the get-go that it's only interested in having fun being a fun movie and films that are like that I feel like you just can't be too brutal to them they're just so happy and Zachary Levi is great the whole cast actually of we didn't really get to see that much of them but the whole cast of older versions of the other kids in their superhero forms they're all good they're all it's well done I feel like we're getting closer to the point where it's obvious that Asher Angel isn't going to end up looking like Zachary Levi, but that's okay. Again, these little things, they just don't bother me as much as they would in some other superhero movies. Because Shazam is Shazam. (laughs) After the first movie, it's got kind of a past to just be funny and do what it wants. It's just a quirky idea that executes pretty well. This one, we find the whole family having problems because they're all trying to do their own thing. And Billy wants them all to hold together. And then... Because he broke the staff at the end of the first one, there's this whole barrier which has been torn between worlds, and it means that from this dead god land, which isn't really explained that well, these three evil ladies can jump through and come after him and his family and try to take their powers and try to get this seed from their hideout, which they can plant, and it's a good thing because it'll bring their world back to life, but if they plant it in our world, it'll make everything bad and evil and create some really badly CGI'd Greek history mythology monsters. 
Does that make sense? It doesn't to me. It was a bit of a mess. <laughs> the whole third act of this, it was a bit of a mess, yeah. There's one, which I won't talk about, really fun cameo, um, which was great. Besides that, the film is, it's again, the focus is family on finding family. For some reason, I feel like a lot of these stories were meant to be wrapped up in the first exam. They just kind of carry on, like, Billy's not really sure if this is his family, because he's about to age out of the foster care system. So again, he's just going down the same journey of, wow, do I really belong with these people? Will they really accept me? Even though it was really made clear at the end of the first film that they did. <laughs> and that he accepted them and that everything was great and fine. So, yeah, I, I I do like the idea that the first film was about Billy finding this family and coming to terms with that, and this one is about him trying to hold them together because he feels like they're going to abandon him. And that is a natural progression. A lot of the other little subplots and things, it's just the same thing, really. But, uh, yeah, for example, him feeling like he doesn't deserve these powers. Just, that was the whole plot of the first film, really. <laughs> this time it's just come back around to that. So, that's fine, though. It's fine. I did have fun with this film. Uh, I didn't think it was as good as the first one. I think there's quite a sizable gap. I think the first one, part of the charm was it was set at Christmas. That always lures me in. And every time I rewatch it, it's normally at Christmas. So it just lures me in again. Um, besides that, I don't, have, I don't have any serious problems with it. It was just silly. It was campy. It was reminiscent more of kind of naughty superhero movies. It felt like it was from that period, almost, this one. Especially the third act. They get trapped in this dome. For most of the film, actually. In, in, they put Philadelphia in this dome, which is unbreakable by literally anything, it seems. And they don't even, you know, they don't think, can we break this? They just move on <laughs> very quickly from that idea. Um, a lot of the actual talk about mythology and artifacts and various things is just, it goes nowhere or it makes zero sense. It's a mess. I liked a lot of the characters, though. I thought Helen Mirren's character was very interesting. Uh, Lucy Luz was pretty basic um, in a lot of ways. And Rachel Zegler's was actually a lot of fun. Yeah. I didn't even recognize her at first. And then I was like, oh, it's West Side Story, girl. That's why I get this just sense of, ah, yes, just happiness and charm from her. That's all she was in West Side Story. That's all she is here again. She's great. I'm looking forward to seeing her as Snow White. I think that'll be pretty good. Um, and, yeah... Despite the fact that the whole ending, it, it's one of those endings that sets itself up to have stakes, and then, eh, what are the stakes afterwards? Their house got messed up a bit. <laughs> and from, from the get-go, this whole thing, it was like, oh, look, it's a superhero versus a dragon, isn't that cool? And, yeah, that's, that's a lot of it. And you know what? There's an interesting point to be made there, because, like, a superhero, a man who's strong and basically invulnerable, versus a big dragon, which is strong and basically invulnerable. That's, um... How do you make a good fight there? <laughs> you know? I don't know. If I, I'd like to think, if I was making a movie, I would be like, right, so how do you make a good, like, big final fight between these things? If you're making a big superhero movie, and there's not really a great way to make a solid, actual fight between them. They, they actually have this big showdown at the end, and it kind of, yeah... It doesn't feel like it's as epic as it should be because it's just it's this big dragon versus this guy. This guy's not like, he's not got a sword and he's trying to like tackle it and like cut its legs out from beneath it or anything like that. He's, he's not got a whip and he's trying to like drag it down. There's nothing, there's nothing like that. He's just literally twice in the space of about three minutes trying to drive through 
it's Fire Blast, which can actually hurt him, so I don't know why that he thought that was the best method, but that's kind of what he did, yeah. So overall, Shazam 2, fine. It's got uh, post-credit scenes, which may lead to nothing. I kind of hope they do, but in terms of a wider DC universe, I really, I don't think about it anymore. Because I know we're going to get there now. The DCU is coming, but it starts with, like, Superman Legacy, which is still, like, a couple years away. So until then, this, The Flash, probably not a lot of point thinking hard about where this fits into the grander scheme of things. But as a standalone sequel to Shazam, it's fun. It will be enjoyable to people who liked the first one. If you didn't like the first one, I can't imagine you're going to do anything but hate this one. Because it is just a lot more of the same, basically. Moving on. Pearl came out in the UK this week. And it's been out uh, in America for a while. And I wanted to talk about I wanted to talk about X as well. X and Pearl. Man, these are unique movies. I like them. I liked Pearl more. People, I don't know, they were a bit divided online. But generally, I think people like Pearl more. So X, if you don't know, is this movie that was basically a slasher movie where it's set in the 70s, I want to say. And uh, this group of people who are making a porn movie go out to this old farm. They've rented out the barn there to film, a, you know, oh, my my husband, the farmer, will be back soon. This big guy comes in and just, watcha, you know. I guess that's what used to... Actually, it still would today. Yeah. Um, So, they're making this movie. It's got some intriguing uh, talk about sexuality and opening up to that in a lot of interesting ways. It was a horny movie in some bizarre ways. But Pearl, the character, not the movie, Pearl, the character, is this old lady who uh, sees what they're doing gets real horny, and literally gives her husband a heart attack by jumping him so hard. So that was weird. And that explains part of why it's so bizarrely horny, the film. Um, I'm not sure on some of the sites that this podcast goes up on now what I can and can't talk about in regards to, you know, more detailed parts of the plot there. But (laughs) that's basically what it is. The old lady goes crazy. She starts murdering people. And it's this weird, unexplained, what the hell's going on with her thing. Pearl tells the story of this character when she was younger. So we're going back to, I think it's like the 20s? I can't remember exactly when it's set. And the story is basically, she's she wants to be a star. Mia Goth plays this character in X, and then plays Pearl, the younger version of her, in this one. And it's, it's weird. <laughs> but both characters, there's these parallels about them wanting to be stars and having these delusions about that. It's not really going to happen. For the character in X, it was about, I'm going to star in this porn movie and then become a big star. Oh, honey. <laughs> and then in Pearl, for her, it was more this, I want to be a star, but I'm not blonde enough. Oh, honey. <laughs> and that is sad. It it would have been sad if she was just dreadful at all the things she was trying to do an audition for to these people. No, she was good at it. They just didn't want her because they wanted more blondes. And, yeah. I mean, in 1920s America, yeah. Fair enough. That, that checks out. But it is sad. And it makes you sympathize with this character as she, once again, predictably, starts brutally murdering, like, a bunch of people. And it is... It's such an unusual film. 
because you're watching from her perspective. Same as X. You knew exactly who the killers were. You knew exactly what was happening. There was no sense of mystery to it. It was all just, okay, here's this crazy lady. Watch her as she gets crazier and crazier and does more and more brutally violent things. And it was actually great. I loved it. I thought it was so intriguing. Like, wow. It was so well done. Mia Goth is incredible. She is becoming a huge screen queen. We've got a few of them right now really making their mark on the genre. Jenna Ortega comes to mind. Melissa Barrera as well. Samara Weaving. It's excellent. But, wow, Mia Goth. <laughs> She's doing it in some of the weirdest ways. I'm looking forward, actually, I'll talk more about it later, to next week's release in the UK, again, I don't know how long it's been out in the US, of Infinity Pool, which I'm not as excited about as I was for Pearl after seeing X, but I still think it could be very interesting. So... How good is it, really? Because this is this is one of these questions. With the horror genre nowadays, I feel like it's so hard to do something that's unique enough that it can actually be, like, a true great. So is, is Pearl really good or is it a true great? I, I feel like X was really good. Pearl is closer to truly great for me. I think it's it's... It's a kind of, like, 75 out of 100 if I watch both of these back. And I'm interested to see where they go next, because I've heard they're making a third one. It's kind of a trilogy where, again, Mia Goth will be playing a character, different character, who wants to be a star. I think that one's actually going to be set in Hollywood. That could be, I don't know, maybe even... And it'll just keep escalating, and that'll be the best one. Maybe Pearl will be the best one. I think watching the three of them back, maybe I'll elevate Pearl in my mind even more. For now, I just think, awesome. Really great movie. Maybe, I don't know, all of the horror movies that are coming out this year, maybe the second best horror movie of the year. I really love Scream 6. It was awesome. <laughs> I talked about it last week. It was great. If you didn't see last week's episode, I was raving on the Scream movies. But Pearl? Yeah. It was really damn good, and I loved it a lot. I think it was better next. I do think it was also better, although... Not as much as I thought it was going to be. Better than the other horror movie which came out this week in the UK. Another release that I think it's been out for a while in America. You know, for smaller release films, damn. For blockbusters, we generally get them the same week as America. Or like the week after. Sometimes with Marvel films, week before. <sighs> with smaller films, anything smaller than a blockbuster, it may be months <laughs> after the release in America before we get it here in the UK. Play Dead is the next one I want to talk about. This, I looked at and I thought, okay, that has potential. In the way that I look at a lot of horror films nowadays and think, yeah, they have potential. With things like Pearl, I actually feel like a sense of, yes, certainty that I'm definitely going to like this. This one I definitely didn't. Bailey Madison, I like, but haven't seen in loads. So I, I wasn't sure how I was going to feel about her being the actual lead in a movie. And uh, I hadn't seen the guy playing the mortician in this since Scream 2, actually. He played Sydney's boyfriend in Scream 2. Talking about those films again. Play Dead is about this woman who, her younger brother, because they're struggling since their parents died, dead parents, parents dead, you know, that kind of thing. They've been struggling to pay their house bills and all that, and their mother's life insurance didn't pay out. What a disaster. And he decides to go and rob a store something with his friend. But when they get there, they get a into trouble because you know people in america have guns and uh and his friend gets shot he drives away he's scared but his friend's phone has the text messages on it where they set up this whole 
heist and god wow that is he's so dumb but but he is presented as a pretty dumb character and bailey madison is his older sister who then trying to save her brother from going to prison for a long time breaks into the morgue that night before they take you know actual look at the phone and uh and she just tries to get the phone and get out unfortunately once she's in there she finds out that the mortician is well huh <laughs> he's, he's doing some bad stuff <laughs> he's basically he's taking organs from dead people selling them off in the black market oh cheeky boy pretty bad news eh he's also got people who he's keeping alive in there so he can take their organs like readily whenever he fancies it instead of having to just try and keep them on ice fresh meat you know that kind of thing it's really <laughs> he can only be described as <laughs> and uh it's very interesting <laughs> it was actually a very interesting concept premise and the execution was good it it's not a phenomenal horror movie again you know it's it's one of those kind of yeah i enjoyed this not a all-time great not even threatening probably the top like five horror movies of the year well you know the horror genre is pretty bad now <laughs> finding films they actually go yeah for it feels like a win even if they're not like that great this was a lot of fun though it's well paced it's more of a thriller than a horror but it's got some pretty scary material in there billy madison was really good as the lead. I really enjoyed her, and I felt like she did well for a script that doesn't have loads of words, really. It is a lot of sneaking about, staying quiet, hiding from this mortician guy who is creepy and really well played as well. And then there's other characters. There's policemen turning up. Which side's he on? What's going on there? There's uh, this black market dealer guy turns up. And, of course, her brother turns up, because, of course, he does. And there's lots of twists, turns, that are well executed. Some of them are predictable. Some of them not so much. I really enjoyed the whole thing. I was surprised that I wasn't kind of fed up with it after 40 minutes. Which happens a lot with things that have good premises but can't really execute it well. Didn't happen here. It was really good. It stayed really good. And it ended. Stuck the landing. It was a fun ending. It, it doesn't mind. Although it doesn't happen a lot for most of the runtime... When the end came around, I just didn't mind having a kind of light-hearted, fun ending. Which is nice. <laughs> Films should be willing to do that. When the horror is done, when the tension is over, you don't need to keep this scary, creepy mood. And I really, in particular, like horror movies that don't mind having interludes in between the tension sections where it's just light-hearted. Things like The Conjuring do that well. All, well, yeah, the, the Me and Conjuring trilogy did that really well, I thought. Get Out does it really well. Things like that where they don't mind having actual funny moments and then build the tension again. You, once you've spent the tension in a scene, once that's used up, once it's gone, there's no trouble, there's no harm in just going, yeah, actually, why don't we now have a little fun? And then start to build the tension again for the next bit. I feel like that's where a lot of horror films really miss out. More than other genres, Horror movies take themselves too seriously a lot of the time. Play Dead, it takes itself seriously. It's it's not got really a lot of those funny interludes, fun moments. But it doesn't mind just going occasionally, hey, yeah, let's uh let's calm it down a little bit. And it's it's really good for a film that a lot of horror movies nowadays, they just kind of blank out at 90 minutes and go, yep, 
we got there, 90 minutes, we've reached our target, let's get out. This one, it went over that a bit. Not too much, it was kind of like 100 minutes long. That was a very good timing for it. Everything about this, it felt like it was well executed for what it was, what it had. Which was never going to be masterful, but was very well done. Yeah, I had a lot of fun with this. Now we're going to talk about, and I've got vastly different opinions on these, uh, a couple of British films that came out this week. It was, it was really, it was a full week, I have to say, like, wow. Um, it was all over the place. Rylian and Alleluia, two very different movies that I expected to like pretty much the same amount. And um, there was a somewhat significant difference between how much I liked them, let's say that, yeah. Oh, by the way, Play Dead, kind of like a 64 out of 100 for me. I don't know if I mentioned that. Um, yeah, it's kind of, it's around the same level, I'd say, as like X for me. It's not as good as Pearl. Pearl was another level up. Um, so yeah, Alleluia I'll talk about first. I, I literally, this is what I do when I've got like new releases to see, especially a week like this where there was quite a lot of them. I go to the cinema on like a Saturday and I stay there. <laughs> like I woke up uh, like 10 a.m. this Saturday. I got up, got dressed, went to the cinema and I came back at like the end of the day. <laughs> Which I gotta say, you shouldn't see that many films in a row. Wow. I don't do that many in a row often. I'll do like two. Today, uh, this, uh, yeah, I did like four. Um, <laughs> and uh, Hallelujah was my morning one. It was the first one I went and see. So I was kind of like, yeah, okay, just, just get me going. Just be a fine film, British movie, nice cast. It's, it's just this hospital it's set in. It's this old, nice institution, and it's got all these carers who really care. They just want to continue to care. They care. NHS workers, they care. Yeah, we care. That's the point of the movie. Although it's got several weird points. And it's based on this play, so you know it's going to have something quirky about it. I thought it was going to be a comedy, okay? <laughs> no, it's not a comedy. <laughs> Um, it's got a big cast. It's got David Bradley. It's got Judy Dench. It's got um, uh, Jennifer Saunders. It's got a lot of great older actors in there. Um, and yeah, they're they're trying to save their hospital. They're going around their daily routines. Some people die. Hey, that's what happens with old people. Why, you know, emotional. It's sad, but it kind of shows. And from knowing people who work in the NHS, personally, that is what you have to do. You get sad, you console the people, you move on. And you don't really get that sad, and that's okay, because you couldn't afford to. You couldn't have an actual happy life if you're getting really sad every time any patient in your care dies, right? That's my experience, having not worked in the NHS at all. Um, but yeah, the film was melodramatic for two whole acts. And I don't normally spoil, like if there's a big twist in a film, I'll kind of maybe mention there's a big twist and say what I thought about it. I won't spoil the twist. I don't know how to give my actual opinion on Alleluia without somewhat spoiling it. I'll say this. In the third act, after being a reasonably nice melodrama, which feels like it's got enough storylines going that it can just kind of bring those to a nice, safe, happy conclusion. 
in the third act. It instead in the third act goes so wildly off its freaking mind in multiple ways that I couldn't believe I was still awake. I think I actually at one point pinched myself in the cinema because I was like, I woke up a little earlier than I normally wake up. Didn't get a lot of sleep. Uh, am I, you know, am I sleeping? Please be sleeping. No. Pretty sure I was awake. It was, um, yeah, it was, it was a horrible, horrible veer with good intentions, mostly, um, to one side. In an attempt, it seemed like the original story was meant to just kind of shock and wake people up if they'd fallen asleep during the play. And this, in the cinema, it does the same thing. It wakes you up. It makes you go, huh? And um, <laughs> I just hated it. I just, the, the ending, I really hated it. Uh, I thought it was so unnecessary. Um, such a disaster. I feel like if you built the film up with the intention of making that twist, you just wouldn't have done it in this way. I feel like it was so stringently, maybe the play does it better, but it was so stringently, yes, Nice movie. Happy time. Dramatic. Got its sad moments, but yeah, good. Simple. And then, what? <laughs> it just completely lost itself, became something totally different. And um, I, I would be interested in seeing the play, which I'd never heard of before this film, um, in an attempt to understand what the fuck. <laughs> just what the fuck? It's nuts. Um, so that's kind of, it wasn't completely terrible, even with that ending, which did dampen it quite a bit for me. I'd put it at a kind of like 44 out of 100. Um, why do I rank films out of 100? Never question that. It's just, just the way my mind works. I just need to be complicated. I've watched far too many movies in the last like five years since I started actually marking them like that to do it out of like five. That would frustrate the hell out of me. Even like 10. That's just a disaster when to happen. 100? Yeah, it just about works. I considered a thousand at one point. That was dumb. Rylian, though, okay, <laughs> stay on target. Rylian is um, is a totally different beast. This I had, I had pretty low expectations for Alleluia and this, um, but they were similar. This one turned out much better. Got to say, Rylian is a romantic comedy, British set romantic comedy in parts of London you don't often see in movies. I'll put it that way. And uh, it was really nice. It was I, I'm following, directly following my cinema trip watching Alleluia. I came out of the screen. Ten minutes later, I was watching Rylian. It was a real brightener for my day, personally, okay? I expected this to just be a little bit... <sighs> boring. I kind of... It, I, you could see from the trailer, these two people, they meet in a bathroom. He's crying over breakup. She's okay with her recent breakup. They talk about their breakups. And then they kind of become emotionally invested with each other over the course of one hectic day. The film is pretty much set over one day. And um, I thought it was going to get real boring in the middle. And after the kind of first act, I still wasn't sure it wouldn't. I was enjoying it well enough, but it, it really just picks itself up and goes... <laughs> whatever, and decided it was going to be real quirky, real weird, just kind of all over the place in a really fun way. I gotta say, because yeah, it's it's become a real romantic comedy trope, modern day, to have these, especially female characters, who are quirky. 
And their, their main defining trait is that they're quirky and different. And it's always the same kind of quirky. And I kind of thought that's where this female lead was heading. No, not really. And I was pretty happy with that. <laughs> she is, she's this quirky kind of character that is that is still a way to describe her. That word is overused for romantic comedy characters, but it's still the best way to describe her. But she's actually just got that little, little bit something deeper. And the director of this film, interestingly said, he really hates romantic comedies and then decided to make one. And that's, that is something that turned out really interesting in this, the way it was done, because it's not built traditionally. It, it's nice, the setting over kind of one hectic day. It is short. It's really short. I don't even think it hits 90 minutes. But that's because it that, that impressed me. <laughs> Usually when I see a film and it doesn't hit 90 minutes, I think immediately, all oh, right, so couldn't even think of that much to write. The point of this film was more that I think you, you can fit everything that you would fit into a normal romantic comedy in, not just in one hectic day of them knowing each other, but also into a fairly short runtime if you try. <laughs> a lot of the extra shit that they pad all the romantic comedies with, this one just didn't bother with. You look at films like Love Actually, you got really invested in a bunch of the different stories. Okay, I did. I know a lot of people that don't like Love Actually. I love Love Actually. And I think, in general, I'm going to put this out there, British romantic comedies, better than American ones. Yeah, you look at Notting Hill, Four Weddings and a Funeral, About Time, get fucked America, okay? <laughs> I gotta put that out there. I love some American romance films. But generally, mmm, especially modern day, God. The crap they put on Netflix and call a rom-com, oh my goodness. It's rough. It's rough. But um, this one, it, it well, there is one amazing, I have to talk about this, there is one amazing literal reference to love, actually. They have, <laughs> and it's got a, this film has got a small cast, got a small budget, so this was the most randomly out-of-place cameo I've ever seen. But it was so amazing. They go, at one point in the film, to get a burrito at a restaurant called Love Quack. Actually, as a pun lover, that just, oh yeah, that's the good stuff right there. But when they get there, the guy serving them is Colin Firth. It's Colin Firth. They got him for a cameo and it was amazing. But that brought to mind Love Actually. And in Love Actually, you get all these characters, all these stories that they're telling in about a two-hour span. And you get hugely invested in at least a few of the stories. Not every single one really grips you, maybe. But whoever you are, there's at least a couple of those stories that are really going to grip you. And how much runtime do any of them have? As an individual story, 10 minutes, 15 minutes, max? It doesn't matter. Because it's just the emotional connection. And that part of connecting quickly to these characters in a rom-com, that either happens immediately or it doesn't, I think. Sure, there's some good cases of people who kind of start out as a non-character, as a not, I don't really care about this character, and a little bit of extra layering happens over time. But generally, it's the first, like, ten minutes. It's like a date. It's like going on a first date. When you go on a first date, you, you probably know if you want there to be a second date within the opening five minutes. And then the rest is just awkward conversation. And that has to happen. And this film was like that. They knew within the first five minutes, they kind of liked each other, a little bit of something there. And I knew in the first five minutes, 
that I liked these two characters. And they just layered very quickly. And by the end of the film, I was really on board with just everything. I was, I was, I was really loving it. They go around, they eat burritos, they talk, they meet his ex. And that scene, brilliant. <laughs> she comes in to help him, like, with his ex and the best friend of his that she cheated on him with. Oh. And yeah, at that point I was thinking, this guy. But it was a really fun scene. Then they break into her ex's apartment. They, um, th there, there's a misunderstanding with some lady's underwear. There's, there's a lot of stuff that happens in a very tight runtime. And I was so impressed coming out of it, thinking, wow, that was 80 minutes. It didn't feel like it was longer. It just felt amazing how much they fit into that 80 minutes. Because they really just didn't mess around. It was awesome. Um, I'd give that a kind of like a like a 65 out of 100. I, again, it, it feels low in my head to mark it like that. No, you know what? It, it's got to be higher. It's more like a, it's more like a 73. Um, because it is... It's just a film that it's, it's got an impact it made on me. It's not a kind of this is a classic impact, you know? It's, you know, maybe it's a little bit harsh. But I feel like as much as I had fun with it, I'd like to see the director do something bigger in a similar vein. I don't know how to describe that better. This was an intimate film, and it felt like that. And... I don't know, there's there's some aspects of it that felt just small scale. I loved a lot of the editing and stuff that they did do. And there's a lot of times where they'll just go to tell this little story. And it's almost in like a quirky, like, I don't know, like How I Met Your Mother sitcom style. Where there are these cutaways. It's not like Family Guy or anything like that cutaways. It's these cutaways where they're just talking away. You know those like scenes in Ant-Man? Where Michael Pena's character would do these like really fast talking little cutaways. It's, it's more like that. And the editing style of that was really well done throughout. They used that a lot in this. It was really nice. It was really fun. The way they tell these extra little stories. It worked really well for me. I, I, I don't know. I think maybe I just need to watch it again. Sometimes that happens. You watch a film in the cinema. It's, it's giving you this like, wow. But you don't, it doesn't settle in. And for rom-coms, I think that goes double. It takes a while before you really decide, actually, this is a really great rom-com I would love to watch a bunch of times again. I think this one is something I'd like to see again. Which, yeah, can't say for hallelujah. But um, one for two on British films being good is pretty solid, I think. There are some other British films I'm excited for this year that I've seen that are going to be coming out. One called Polite Society. I think that's still a couple months away. But, oh, looks awesome. But so far, I think Rye Lane is my favorite British film of the year. And that's... There's not been that many. But it's it's still a pretty good accolade for it to have for now. Um, moving on, there's one more new film. There's... I mean, there's a bunch, honestly. I'm gonna... I, there's like one or two. I'm just gonna have to shift to next week, probably. But there's one more new film this week I really want to talk about because I actually really enjoyed it as well. I enjoyed more of the new films out this week than I thought I was going to. It's the Boston Strangler movie that came out... Uh, I think it's a Peacock or... Hulu production. It came out this week on Disney Plus, um, so that's that's where I saw it. I don't know if that's whole world distribution they're doing for this, or if it's just Disney Plus doing that for the UK because things like Peacock and Hulu we can't actually really get in the UK. So either way, it's got Kieran Knightley in it, 
And she plays this investigative reporter who, she's, it's the 60s, she's kind of stuck doing dead-end, shitty investigating work. And then she decides on her own time to go after this strange set of killings that's been around recently and manages to link them together, break the big story on that, and then she gets the actual support of the newspaper following through as... The killings keep happening. And these Boston Strangle murders, they're real. It's a real story from the 60s. There have been films about it in the past. Um, a notable one that was made in the 60s. It was made very shortly after. Uh, that one was pretty much fiction. And this one is a lot more true to life. Now, Keira Knightley's done this a bit more recently. She's moved into this kind of... These movies that are pretty slow burn investigative style. She was a whistleblower in Official Secrets, which came out a few years ago. And that was a true story, which was... it, Yeah felt like they really tried to keep it to true because it was really boring. I was worried that this, especially in the middle, was going to get quite dull. Maybe it's because of the nature of the case, or maybe it's because just the writing and acting were both really well done. I never felt like it was slow. Throughout this, it's a, it's a slow burn investigation movie. Normally I feel like those, ah uh, yeah, it gets pretty slow in the middle for about half an hour. Not this one, no. I felt like this stayed really entertaining, really intriguing the whole way through. And that is fascinating. I think they, they took some liberties, maybe. There's a little bit more threat and actual, like, almost bordering on horror elements at, for moments that were really well done. And it doesn't use those loads. It doesn't try to make a horror out of a film that's an investigative reporter film, but it's got great moments like that. Really thrilling moments, real tension-filled moments. It does all of those things well, and that it surprised me the level it was able to do that on. I gotta say. And whichever it is, Peacock or Hulu, they, I think they did Prey as well, quite recently, last year. And, wow! <laughs> these are films that in the UK, they're just coming out on Disney Plus at some stage, but, wow, whoever's doing these? They're on a roll right now, I gotta say. Um, so I really enjoyed this one. It was really fun. It's got a good cast around her, though Keira Knightley is put pretty heavily in the spotlight. Um, and deserves to be, because, wow, <laughs> I, I, Official Secrets came out like four years ago. That is the only thing I can remember actively seeing Keira Knightley in, in a leading role in a long time now. But uh, she is still excellent. She's great. She's only like 37. She's not, you know. <laughs> she she was in Pirates of the Caribbean in Love Actually when she was 18. She is, um, she's not as old as anyone thinks she is. As, okay, as I thought she was, yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, this was just so well done. It really impressed me because... It's it's really rare. I, I'm not a huge investigative film guy. There's a lot of them that I'll watch and be like, yeah, it's fine. But I wouldn't re-watch them because they're too slow burn for me. And I do normally find that there's a section of the film, if not the whole film, where it's just a bit too, eh, a bit too boring and dull and plodding along as they slowly unravel stuff. This one... I mean, the case is great, because there's all these stranglings, she links them together, and then by kind of an hour in, it's a full two-hour film, but by like an hour in, they kind of have a decent idea of who they think did it, and then there's just more to uncover in the case past that point. And the fact that they still, to this day, ugh, spoilers, kind of, but it's a true story, um, to this day, they don't know for sure who did a lot of the killings. So, it's really got that kind of true crime documentary intrigue to it 
And that's part of why, despite sticking, in a lot of ways, quite close to true life, this really did well, I think. It was great, and I really enjoyed it. Um, that's all of the new movies this week. There, <laughs> look, we have to talk about Sunday School Musical now. I've been, I've been, I've been edging for 40 minutes, just going, fuck it, let's just talk about it now. I, every week, have to have one segment called Movies Are Bad, because as much as movies are good, and most of the movies we've talked about this week, I genuinely enjoyed, which is great. Movies are also bad. And there are various companies. The Asylum is one of the best. Well, it's one of the most notable for doing it. Let's not call them the best. That make Mockbusters. Oh, Mockbusters are great. And Mockbusters are just uh, generally exactly what you think they are. They're blockbuster parodies. Mm, Not even parodies. They're cheap, cheap, cheap versions of blockbusters with a slightly different name intended to mislead audiences into accidentally watching this instead. How many people actually watched Sunday School Musical and thought this was High School Musical? I really hope it's not that many. But the plot (laughs) is that this kid who goes to this high school where their choir kicks ass, all right? Their their church choir kicks ass. But when he has to move downtown to this fancier, nicer area, huh? His family's purr, so he has to move to this fancier area. I think he's moving in with his aunt or something, that was it. Um, And then he joins up after really trying so hard not to. He joins up with the local rich kid choir, who are pricks. I hate them so much. Oh, they're awful. The characters are all so awful. This film is garbage. Holy hell. Oh, by the way, Boston Strangler. I didn't mark it, did I? I think it's like a 73 for me. It's still not like, whoa, holy shit, incredible. But it was good. It was really good. Um, Sunday School Musical, I'm not going to give 73 to. <laughs> it is true, true, beautiful garbage on a stunning level, frankly. I, I could not believe how many songs there were. Oh, there's so many songs. And just... I can't really play them on this because copyright, but my God, I want to. Um, Just go look up Sunday School Musical songs for me quickly and revel in the joy of how truly terrible they are. And it's interesting because there's a couple of times when he first gets to the rich kid choir, they're, they're really bad. Like the point is, oh, they're terrible. And then there's a point where he starts helping them out and they improve like Immediately. No gap. He goes in and goes, now just loosen up and do it like this. And then they're good. (laughs) Which, oh my God. But, um, yeah. I couldn't tell at what point they were meant to be good now. (laughs) At some point they were just meant to be really good immediately. And I couldn't tell that they were meant to be really good until he finished and went, wow, that was so much better. (laughs) Because it was so awful. All the performances, they're not like all of them bad singers. It's just so awkward, stilted. The, the, I mean, the cinematography, the choreography. (laughs) And yeah, the songs themselves are so bad. So bad. It's all like, and it's so stilted, the language. I, I think... It was just written by real right-wing people who had never seen a 
film before. And there was so much of this kind of awkward back-and-forth conversation where they were like, yeah, let's get hip, let's get down to the streets, let's do it like that, bro, let's hit it. And I... Oh, <laughs> you think it sounds awkward and stilted coming out of me? It's at least as bad coming out of them. <laughs> um, yeah, so that, it happened. And look, he joins the choir, the rich kids choir, and then the purr choir that he left behind start acting like the villains because they're trying to save their church and he's opposing them with this new rich kid choir um, who are trying to be happy and rich and win stuff. So there's an awkward phase in the middle of the film. The second act is a bit bizarre because I don't know who we're meant to be supporting. And um, and then he has like an edgy song. There's actually, I think, three edgy songs set on rooftops over the duration of the film. I Yes, I'm serious. <laughs> oh, it's so much fun here watching this. It was incredibly bad. Um, and then obviously at the end, well, not even at the end, like kind of at the end of the second act, they just kind of go, I, let's just team up to save the church. Yeah. Um, <laughs> which is, um, yeah, yeah, nuts. And then they get to the big competition at the end, regionals or whatever the hell it was, and the judges go, oh, you teamed up uh, we don't allow that and they then the kids were like we didn't break any rules we checked the rule book and he said yeah but we don't allow that and then they come out and bargain with him to be able to sing their song even if they don't get to um win and compete in the competition and then they do they sing their song and then the team that wins the competition says we're going to give you the money for the church so at every turn the plot of this was horrifying um I, I i can't quite fathom that somebody like actually sat down and wrote this um it's like if sister act was well didn't have whoopi goldberg or any of the other actors you liked and and if somebody just set fire to the director while they tried to make it yeah that's pretty much it it was so bad you know how, like, high school musicals so, like, cringy and awkward to watch back, but in a fun way? This isn't fun. <laughs> this was not in a fun way. I was hip-watching it, and I was enjoying it, but at a certain point, by, like, the 12th song, there are so many songs, you just kind of go, huh, <laughs> and you're just sad. It crosses the boundary between funny bad to just sad bad. And then it kind of, it plays jump rope with that line for a little while as it goes on, but by the end, you're just drained emotionally at the horror yeah so uh movies are bad <laughs> the last thing we always have something in the world of pop culture i want to talk about besides films just one thing just one thing a week is enough last week we talked about hogwarts legacy which i've still been playing hugely enjoying by the way this week oh by the way sunday school musical like a 17 out of 100 like real real bad not the worst film i've ever seen maybe i'll have to talk about that at some stage but real bad yeah real bad next i want to talk about the last of us because season one came to an end i've been keeping up with it i don't often get so interested by a show's release that i will actually watch it each week as the new episode comes out i'll normally just wait until the end 
I, I watched it week to week with this, and I was hyped every single week. It never went away. It never lessened at all. I was loving it. I was loving every inch of this. I played the games, and I didn't have the complaints that other people did. Other people, they were saying there's not enough zombie action. I thought, firstly, there's a decent amount of action in the show. Secondly, yeah, it is more drama, character-focused work. And that was kind of always the strength of The Last of Us games, too. There's not a lot of big, oh my god, loads of zombies run away scenes. And normally, if that happens in the games, you fucking die. Normally, there's a lot of fighting people in the games. That happens, same as it happened here. But a lot of the action scenes in the games were stealthy, quiet, sneak along, pass this. Scenes which, if you put them in the show, wouldn't have been that great. There's some good scenes with zombies. There are. And yet, it focused on the human interaction. Even the title of this show is about humanity. So let's focus on humanity, okay? <laughs> Just let them do that. Stop complaining. You don't have to watch it. Especially if you don't like LGBT. I loved episode three. Um, wow. That's the thing. I can individually mark out what happened in every episode, I think. Because they were all really good. There are some that are truly excellent. You know, some of the best TV episodes, whoa, ever. Holy crap. But every single one of them was really good. There's nine episodes, and I could just sit and go, yep, this is episode one, this is episode two, the whole way through, because that is how well it did. It was supreme. I, I loved it. Um, I think Pedro Pascal, my god. I mean, daddy. I mean, shit. Um, daddy. No, fuck. Um, <laughs> the king of television, modern day. Narcos was excellent. It was huge. It was a big deal. He was great in it. And then Mandalorian. Oh, my god. Oh, my. Wow. He was in Game of Thrones. Not for ages, but he was sexy even then. And now this. It is baffling how he has time Mandalorian Season 3 started while this was still going on. Like, holy hell, it was, it's incredible. He's wonderful. Book of Boba Fett. Oh, damn it. No. Okay. Well, everybody has a bad one. <laughs> everybody has one bad one, all right? Um, but yeah, the man is incredible. He's become one of the biggest stars in the world because he's just doing it too often. He's just putting on incredible performances that make us say, oh, my daddy. <laughs> Far too often. And uh, Bella Ramsey as well. I knew her before this, but only really animated roles from things like Hilda. Never seen Hilda on Netflix. Really fun show. Um, in that, she has a very British accent. So um, it, was a, it was a start seeing her in live action, um, American as Ellie. But wow, it's so, so well executed. I mean, yeah. And I'm just thinking back to, like, the start of this season and how great, like, episode one was. And just the pacing. The pacing of everything. Even when it just goes completely off story for a whole episode, which happened twice in nine episodes. You still... I still loved everything that was happening. That's weird. <laughs> There's some black magic witchcraft shit going on with this show. But it was so good. I am very fearful that it's just never going to be as good as this. That... They said that they're going to adapt the second game and they're going to do more than one season for the second game. Feels fair enough. But I am worried that it's never going to be on the level of this first season. So I think it's all downhill from here. But I think, wow, like 91 out of 100 for this season of television. Like, it was 
Oh. <laughs> it left me emotionally drained every week, and yet I loved it. I, I couldn't stop away. I, I was watching with people who were crying. Every single episode didn't matter. They couldn't stay away. They had to see what happened next. That's how good it is. No matter how much it emotionally drains you, you're always ready for more pain. <sighs> God. Yeah. The well cast of us. That's <laughs> that, That's what I'll say about that. Because every role, even like Tommy, Gabriel, Luna, whoa. Every single role was amazingly cast. I loved it. It was so well acted across the board. And so well written across the board. That doesn't happen with TV that much. Weak episodes. Filler episodes. That's what happens with TV. Not here. No. Even things like Game of Thrones. Filler episodes. Weak episodes. Weak seasons. But no. Not here. Maybe maybe here. Soon. Not with this season. Next level. And uh, that's pretty much us for this week on Movies Good. There is one last thing we have to do. It's the look ahead. I, I always want to look and estimate how much I think I'm going to like some of the things we'll be talking about in the next episode. Um, there's not as much new stuff out next week, which is kind of good because it gives me a little bit of a chance to catch up. Things like The Magician's Elephant I was going to talk about this week. It's a new Netflix animated film. Didn't get a chance um, to watch it yet uh, because there were just so many other things to do, and I knew I wasn't going to be able to talk about it. I'm not looking forward to it. <laughs> I saw a couple of reviews. They don't look promising. I'm not looking forward to it. It looks like it's going to be bad. I'll estimate vaguely two out of five stars direction. I really think it's going to be a bit of a letdown, whereas normally I like Netflix animated movies. So I'm hoping I'll turn around on it. I doubt it. The big one for next week is going to be John Wick Chapter 4, and we'll probably talk through the whole John Wick franchise, because great franchise. I am expecting big things. It's never let me down that franchise, and personally, for me, the films just kind of get a little bit better each time. I, I I don't think that's a popular opinion, but I really just loved Chapter 1, loved Chapter 2 even more, thought Chapter 3 was the best. So I'm very hopeful I'm going to be given like a kind of full five-star direction to Chapter 4 as well. Um, and hopefully just raving about the whole franchise next week. Infinity Pool, I already mentioned, is coming out next week. And again, it's Mia Goth, got Alexander Skarsgård. It looks freaky. It looks weird. Brandon Cronenberg's directing it. I hate David Cronenberg movies because I just don't like body horror as a genre. I think it's gross and weird. Not in a creepy way, in a ugh way. <laughs> just a ugh. So, Infinity Pool... I've never seen a Brandon Cronenberg film, so I don't know if he's doing the same stuff as his dad. I've heard that it's one of the most fucked up horror movies of the year, and I don't know what that means. I'm estimating like a three stars, just going just gonna to put that expectation down the middle because it's either going to be four stars or one star, I'll say, yeah. So vaguely three is my estimation. Um, 80 for Brady is being released next week in the UK. I'm looking forward to that. That should be a really fun one. We've seen a lot of these movies, though, haven't we? <laughs> a lot of these, oh, one last adventure for these actors in a movie where they all get to star in an ensemble cast playing characters who are experiencing one last adventure because they old. <laughs> it's going to be like three stars. I That one I'm much more sure about being like a three-star film, yeah. And uh, finally, A Good Person is coming out, which actually I'm pretty excited for. It's like a Sky-made movie. Sky here in the UK, they make their own movies and uh, normally just release them on their channels for premieres. The fact that this one's coming to cinema 
makes me think they've got high hopes for it. It's got Florence Pugh. It's got Morgan Freeman. She's real messed up because I, I don't know quite what happens. It looks like in the trailer she got into a car accident. It was maybe her fault and killed someone that he knows, his, his son or grandson or something like that. And uh, then they become friends anyway. And it looks really sweet. It looks really adorable. It looks like it's going to be so nice. I'm really looking forward to that one. I'm expecting a four stars for that. I don't think it's going to be, like, really incredible. Hoping it is. I've got, I've got a, a hope that it could be. But I think it'll be more like a really solid, good performances from both of them. Nice, intimate, kind of heartfelt, feel-good ending film. Be really sad for most of it, and then feel-good ending. That's my prediction. Um, and that's the majority of what we'll be talking about next week. I'll look up and see what my next movies are bad one will be. We'll see what's happening in outside the world of pop culture. But, you know, just uh, just follow wherever you are watching this. I don't really know all of the sites this is going up on yet. Still, I'm kind of working that stuff out. If you're on YouTube, subscribe. Check out the other things we do in the channel. You know, one-minute reviews, that kind of thing. And thank you guys for watching or listening all the way until the end. I hope you had a good time. I know I did. I like talking about movies because movies are good. So I'll see you next week and I hope I'll, I hope, well, yeah, I hope I will see you next week. Bye.